Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. Be careful of what you do. Big Brother is watching you. You say that you got me all in the mortgage. Rather than offer you the illusion of free choice, I will take the liberty of choosing for you. Hi, everyone. This is the Hurricane Labs InfoSec podcast, episode 0.09. I'm Kelsey, your marketing person. I'm Tom Kupchak, and uh, I can't think of anything clever right now. Tom does stuff. I'm Corey Hamm, and I'm a pen tester. I'm Mark, and I am on a sock team. Welcome, Mark, to the new podcast that you're on now. All right, thank you. It's Mark's first podcast, so. So Very after exciting. this, he's going to be an expert on being on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, hopefully. yeah. He's actually going to be better than us after the first episode. Absolutely, and maybe he'll like increase read or listenership by at least you know double because one more person will listen to the podcast. He has a pretty good radio voice, better yeah. than any of us, probably. Yeah. I agree. That is true. Huh. So we should just let him talk the whole yeah, time. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, so anyway, let's let's dive right into it. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about ransomware, where it came from, what it's doing now, possibly, if we can, where it's going. Um, so, you know, we hear about ransomware this, ransomware that all over the news these days. And it's being said that ransomware is now the biggest cybersecurity threat out there. What do you guys think about that? First thing, I think you need to be more aggressive about how you say ransomware. Ransomware! Ooh. Something like that, so that it, you know. Gives it that. Yeah, ransomware. No, I don't think he, uh, Tom, that sounds like some weird Italian <laughs> opera. Okay, well, I, I was thinking more of Antonio. He kind of, you know. <laughs> anyway. Did, didn't quite have the, the tongue roll there, but ransomware. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, like a vampire. I like, I like that. That was like yeah. a vampire. That, <laughs> Like, so basically, like vampires... we need to turn off all the lights in the podcast room when we're talking about <laughs> Does, ransomware. Wait, wait, wait. Does <laughs> Transylvania have like a TLD? It's now dark in here. Just in case anyone's <laughs> is, wondering, <laughs> is there a Transylvanian TLD? I don't know, but there should be one. I think if there is, it should be dot vp for vampire. Ah. Anyway, like, I'm I'm not interested. Like in ransomware dot vampire. Now that I've completely derailed the entire you conversation have. in this podcast, <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay because I mean, if you think about it, really, if you're a creator of ransomware, you're gonna host it in Transylvania. So then it's like a vampire is hosting the ransomware. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I guess the theory behind that is since you're asking for ransom, you're gonna bleed them dry of all their funding. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I guess that's why trying I to help you out. You're I, saying I it's a bigger threat. You're saying cybersecurity. It's the biggest threat. Now, are, certain. I'm not. I am not personally. You're, but I'm but the, wondering. The question was: Is it the biggest threat in cybersecurity? Yeah, so right what now. are so what are some other threats? Is is malware the only threat in cybersecurity? No, there's definitely other threats yeah. in cybersecurity. Right. Uh, I would say it's definitely one of those things that's on people's minds right now. Well, malware wise, it's definitely the biggest. I don't know. I, I think I would agree with it. I think I would agree with that statement that it's the biggest threat in cybersecurity right now. Okay. Because everyone's talking about it. I feel like ransomware is something that people are 
new to. So I guess it's a bigger threat because of that. Yeah. What, what kind of strikes me as interesting is you know, I'll have conversations with customers and various people about different security things. And even in the past week, it's just like so many people and customers have brought up topics about ransomware, asking questions about that, that it's clearly on people's minds. Yeah. And I mean, when it gets picked up by the big news outlets, it, it usually will have that effect. Like even Heartbleed got picked up by some of the big news outlets. And so it had that same. Effect. So there's a bunch of bad information that's being spread about that. That's wholly inaccurate from about years ago, like uh, most news things. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I haven't seen a ton of inaccurate information. I mean, the big thing with the whole Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center or whatever was that they claimed originally, oh, it's $3.6 million. No, it's actually $17,000. Like, that's a pretty big difference. That's a pretty big gap. But it's the, they, still not an insignificant amount of money by any means. No, so. and I mean, this brings up the topic of, oh, they actually paid it, which isn't new. I mean, there's been lots of stories of police departments paying it and government bureaus paying it the fbi's stances still don't pay it which well, so, so no what, no so... actually the fbi's stance is in no. a lot of cases to pay it no their well, official well, no, stance they're, they're, is they're, not to right they're saying don't don't pay the ransom yeah which i i kind of no. find strange that, I, I personally would probably yeah. pay that, it if you didn't have a choice that's not true the fbi says in a lot of cases if you don't have backups if you don't have a good way around it you're better off paying the ransom but there, Tom which did are, not read the show notes the official stance <laughs> maybe of the I'm F- looking at a, some <laughs> other part of the show notes <laughs> the official stance of the FBI is don't pay it which I guess if you're saying okay well then pay it if you don't have any other options I agree with that but in one of the articles that we were reading was uh, it mentioned that the FBI stance is maybe a little bit more traditional when dealing with ransom so in a traditional ransom situation where it's some person has kidnapped some valuable person and is asking for money, they're they're saying that there's a lot more time with a real-life ransomware situation because I guess it's kind of like that person's absence doesn't necessarily have a negative impact as much as the absence of data. If a hospital's missing their CEO because he got kidnapped and he's being held for ransom, they can pretty much still no, operate. No one cares. No one. Okay. Maybe, no one cares. May, maybe the CEO and his family care. Okay. So that. Well, well, in the analogy, that's who, who will probably be paying the ransom. They're probably going to go after the family first. Will be you know, my right. guess that you right. know, if, if you have a, a child and yeah. you're kidnapped in the Middle you're East, you're going to pay the ransom. Right. Right. But so, you have more time. Taking it, taking the analogy into the digital world. If a hospital needs a certain system or a certain data, typically there aren't single points of failure in the real world when it relates to people. Like no person is a single point of failure where like nothing can operate without this person in place. But with digital, I think it's a whole different story. Right. So ultimately, both sides of either paying or not paying, um, paying, the reason they're saying not to pay is that it emboldens the attackers, like it gives them more money to continue you know, right, right. Spending the time and resources on these ransomware campaigns is that it's kind of like don't reward negative behavior, right? So it's like a dog. If the dog bites you, don't give it a treat. Right. Well. <laughs> so, but I think that it it gets a little bit more complex because I mean, in the Cisco Talos blog or paper or whatever it is, they have like a little flowchart that says, "Here's how to decide whether you should pay for ransomware or not." And it basically says if you have other options, if you have offsite data that you can restore and you don't or say you don't need rapid recovery of your data, 
then you can avoid paying or say, you know, there's there's all these different scenarios. And the last, you know, the last option is actually pay it. So from what I from what I've heard, usually the customer service associated with ransomware is actually quite good. And there are actually there is actually a crypto crypto custom or customer service. Well, well, it's it's an industry. Yeah. And the people that are working, you know, in the ransomware call centers or whatever, that's like (laughs) their job. So if you negotiate through the call center and complain, you kind of get a discount free or that. (laughs) Buy one, get one free. If the service, if the 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 the, uh, service wasn't up to your standards, you can just complain. You you didn't encrypt it quite. You didn't. You only used the thousand twenty four bit RSA. I would really prefer to use four thousand ninety six bit RSA because I mean it could be decrypted in ten years or less. Thank you for sharing that feedback with us. Your call is very important to us. (laughs) Give them a bad review on Yelp. (laughs) Call maybe monitor. So. But yeah, from the perspective of what I've heard, uh, you know, the customer service is not better than like a lot of legitimate customers or yeah, companies. Yeah, yes, you usually like, will. Like get cable the- companies should actually use ransomware as their you know model for improving their customer service. Yeah, yeah. So but, I mean, they a lot of the different there's different strains obviously, and each one is different. But I know that some of them they'll offer like decrypt one file just to show you. Like, you know how if you're – it's a real ransom situation, you have a phone call with the person and say, hey, are you alive? And they say, yeah, I'm alive. And then, you know, it's kind of like that. But digitally, it's like decrypt two of my files and show me so to prove that they actually can decrypt it. So that's kind of like putting your loved one on the phone to prove that they have them. Yeah, exactly. It's like the demo of the game. Yeah, they will actually negotiate with you. I don't know. In the case of this Hollywood Presbyterian, you know, the new – that negotiation may be – it might be, now the crypto locker people might be to the point of they don't accept customer service inquiries anymore. They've turned off the phones, but I don't really know. So, I mean, they have seventeen thousand dollars at least that they can use to uh, improve their training and hire more people. So, so. okay, so revenue wise, this is another thing that the Cisco Talos paper covers is what the estimated revenue of a crypto locker campaign is. Per year, and it's huge. It's it, I think it varied between 170 million and 300 million dollars per year, which is a, quite a bit of money. And the thing to keep in mind about that sort of thing is, since it's paid in Bitcoin and often to countries that don't have the same legal agreements with the U.S., is a lot of that money and actually gets kept. It, it's kept. It can't be traced very easily. Right. And there's not ways to extradite them into the U.S. to. Well, there's no. Oftentimes, they don't even figure out who did it. Yeah, even if they were able to figure that out, even if it would they be were very able to figure to out, get a conviction, they probably wouldn't get the money back. Even if they did get a conviction, because the money's probably gone. Just like you know, any there's still money. You know, there's money that sank on a ship in 1500 that we never found. So <laughs> yeah, but that's that, that's not Bitcoin, at least. Well, but it doesn't matter. The point is money. Like the point is that is quite a bit of money. That is scary when you consider the fact that they can use that money to fund more crypto locker. They can hire more ex-Microsoft developers that are just really mad. No, I'm just kidding. Well, so we're talking <laughs> about the payoff from what the attackers are doing. It's not like the the ransomware attacks just all of a sudden happen. I mean, there's some back-end work right, that needs to be put into them and some development. What are some of the things that they do to, you know, put effort into these things because they don't just, you know, this payoff, it doesn't just happen. Right. They do. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's like, what is their investment cost to, you know, cost of goods sold or whatever? <laughs> like what? I mean, they do have to develop the malware, but uh, in this, so they, yes, they do have to develop it. However, 
they, you know, it's common for them to use frameworks or like now they even have like ransomware as a service where like you can actually so, <laughs> like it's it, seriously they have like a referral program. So so if I can't develop my own, I, I can just tell, hey, yeah, this is what I need. Yeah. Like and if, how, and how like if Kelsey I, I wanted, wanted to launch what I wanted for. Yeah. yeah. You, if Kelsey you, wanted okay. to launch your own ransomware service tomorrow. She could. She could just go to some shady Russian site. Yeah. And give them some money. And yeah. then you would have, you know, Kelsey.ransomware.com. They or would take us they would take a chunk of the profits, of course. Well, and you're guaranteed to it's, pay it's or else really, they'll lock you. It's really no different. <laughs> it's no oh. different than like the red light cameras that so, cities use where the company gets part of the profits yeah. and you know they don't have to set up the program. This is just, you know It's like any subscription. And there's also like referral programs where like, okay, so if you bring in fifty crypto locker customers, then I'll give you, you know, like it's 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 kind of funny. It's it's hilarious how how formal these businesses have become. When they're I mean they're not really businesses. I guess they're, well, they're well, it's a business. It's organized I mean, crime. Well, right, well, right. I mean, criminal business is it's a business. Yeah, it's still a business. So there's still paid. a boss. There's still yeah, right. absolutely yeah. Some people are getting paid, so it's a criminal enterprise. So, yeah. Um, yeah I, as far as development goes, I think to be the next big one. You're gonna to have to invest a lot of time developing it and 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 leveraging different technologies. But to be just a nobody who makes some money, I think it's really easy. I think that like it's almost takes no no skill or or investment whatsoever. Yeah. So I think if you're trying to write, you know, the next generation ransomware, you're gonna be looking for new exploits, zero days, that kind of thing, that are more universal. It's a lot of moving pieces. And that, and that obviously, because really, your end goal is to once you social engineer or get something to be displayed on a machine, either by clicking on a link, opening attachment, anything like that, you need to find some way to hook into that machine through an exploit or vulnerability or something like that. So you're going to throw everything that you possibly can at the system, right? Right. But in order to, but the more you have, the more successful you're going to be, and, and the and more I mean, expensive the development's going to exactly, be. Exactly. Exactly. No, do they have like the customer? improvement program like microsoft like anonymous data i'm sure they do you could try the ransomware and you get like discounted decryption for the sake of providing feedback probably uh ransomware beta tester yeah (laughs) i'm sure that honestly i think that's the reason why companies like fireeye and other people have honeypots because they do beta test the software not only on their own systems, but also on live systems. And that's a good way to pick up the next, you know, they say emerging threats. That's like, right. you know, it's this is a new attack that we've never seen. They might be beta testing the next, you know, super powerful crypto. Yeah, like sites, sites like VirusTotal, people are going to be running their test malware through it to see if it gets caught. No, that's really dumb. I know. No but, one would do that. But they're going to probably run samples of that, too. You Possibly. can see... Possibly. And you can often see the first time like a hash is uploaded into that. That would be a really stupid move to do to run. Like there are even within the pen testing world, I have to use antivirus evasion tools on a regular basis, and they usually the output includes "Please don't submit this to VirusTotal." Thank you. <laughs> like usually, that is a bad idea. But um, I'm sure they do beta tests. I'm sure they have they probably don't have customer improvement programs where you like but they are gathering data like they are gathering yeah. data on who's infected. I mean that's like a really important part of their business. They want to produce a high quality software product that does yeah, what they want. That makes them 
regardless of how yeah. illegal or shady or immoral that is. I think one thing, if you're say you're a malware provider, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one one benefit you have is that an, an MSP, can, a malware services MS, provider, malware, no. <laughs> malware secure. No, uh, one advantage is that you keep. You write this software, this crypto locker, and then you just kind of let it go, and it'll keep doing its thing for a long time. You know, like like you know how they say uh, Configure is still out there. Like Configure is still an active botnet that has a compromised host on it. Like this is, it's been eight years now, I think, since it originally came out. So it's still there. So if you're if you're a malware developer, if you're a Configure developer, you invest, you know, maybe a year. And developing configure and it'll infect hosts for eight years. So you're years. you're moving time. you're moving into the conversation of self propagating malware. Is that what you're doing right now? Sure. <laughs> I so okay, the whole self propagating malware thing, like crypto worms or whatever, I think that's stupid. I think the whole idea of it is stupid because I think it's cool. So. so it is cool, but here's the thing. So the idea is like the next generation of crypto loggers are gonna all they're going to be self-propagating, so they're going to hit the network, and then they're going to move laterally throughout the network and, and cause damage. But isn't that what they already do? Mm, they have the—no. Like, what is the—tell di- me what no, the difference is. self-propagating means it has the ability to, to copy itself from system yeah. to system without user intervention. But Any the Hollywood— sort of worm does that No, no, no. But, okay, so no. the Ho- Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center ransomware was not a— a crypto worm, right? It was just a normal ransomware. And yet the the plural was infected. Like it wasn't just one computer that was infected. It was it was enough computers that were infected or enough stuff that got locked out to take down their whole network. Well, realistically, if you have you know, like hospital networks are not the end all be all of the most secure no, systems ever. But clearly it did self propagate, right? Well, the way a lot of this works is it focus is not even on the local machine anymore these days as it looks for network shares. Okay. So if you have mapped Windows drives or if you at least have right access to you know, right. Right. browsing shares, your machine gets compromised. The first thing it's going to do is I'm going to hit as many network shares as I can right. and start encrypting as many things as possible. Right. So so, the so question- you have someone who has enough access to you know online medical records, that TXT. Because, so you, you know, think that's what happened? I, you think I, it was can, all network share that took down their whole hospital? I can conceivably see something like that happen if it's the mach- a machine that has the right amount of write access to something like that. So, I okay, I guess. Let's say that it was one machine that was compromised. If it's one machine with admin permissions to a lot of file shares, yeah, so I can see that so, happening. So you're whether saying, or not this is actually true is you know yeah, it's speculation. But the point I'm making is. Okay, self-propagating malware. Isn't CryptoLocker already self-propagating by looking for network shares? So that's not, Isn't that self-propagating? That's not actually self-propagating because no. the malware itself is not propagating. It's just in- spreading encryption, so to speak. So you think your your theory is that cr- the CryptoLocker that took down a whole hospital came from one infected system? I can see and that no happening. Other, one system was infected, and that's it, and that took down the whole hospital. That can happen. I'm not I saying that that's what that, happened see, in the case there. See, that's hard for me to believe. They have so many network shares. This is why we need McMaster in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, he we knows. need fire. We need uh, whoever their uh, incident response company in here. Well, regardless of whether you call it a crypto worm or whatever, no, no. as as attackers are changing focus from individuals to targeting entire networks as they already are, um, obviously they're going to d- be developing 
and continuing to progress and make things faster and more effective to mac- you know maximize input. Right. So so I agree with the idea as the the idea of oh we're going to have crypto locker and it's going to be propagating across our network. But I don't think it's the future. I think it's now. To me, I think it's hard to believe that one compromised system with some network shares attached to it took down a whole hospital. To me, I feel like there had to be some propagation there. Corey, there how many be... times have you taken down a whole hospital with one network attached system? Yeah, but we didn't encrypt anything. <laughs> that was a pa- we okay. So we have taken down hospitals before, but that was not intentional and was not. It, yeah. it so you require... think the ransomware people were trying to take down the whole hospital? No, they were yes. trying to take down no. whatever machine had the ransomware on. So you think it was an accident? You think the whole the guys probably the people who were behind the ransomware had no idea what they were targeting. They were just trying to get people to install ransomware. It is happened. The, so it happened just, at a hospital. Is that a spray and pray? Is yeah, that yeah. Spray? That's what yeah. I think for a lot of this stuff. Well, that's if you're, common. If <laughs> you're see, writing, that's what the if you're writing spray if you're writing ransomware and you want to get as much money as possible, you want to bring in as many customers as possible. Right, right, right. But here's the question: How did they know? Oh, this is a hospital. We can demand seventeen thousand dollars instead of like five hundred or whatever they normally do. Well, malware it has to transmit the key somewhere. Right. So there would be some information about what IP address that's coming from, yeah. so who this key is associated with, and how many files are encrypted. So if it was a large number of files that were encrypted or something, they might be able to say, hey, this you know has a higher value. Right. I don't know. So, okay, assuming that the Presbyterian Medical Center compromise was a single system and was not targeted which those are some pretty big assumptions to make, then yes, the next generation of ransomware is going to contain that those same mechanisms. But I think that that's already being done. I think that, I mean, that it doesn't, it definitely doesn't take away from the conversation about the next generation of ransomware, but I'm just saying it's, it's kind of like, isn't this already happening? If we can take down Self, a whole hospital. Self-propagating malware has existed for much longer than ransomware. Right. Worms. Right. Uh, sure. So anything that's wormable can ficker. Yeah. Yeah. Can happen. E- even looking back to uh, uh, Slammer, was that one of the ones yeah. that, yeah, that was, was one of the first worm. worms yeah. that basically propagated through the entire internet in like hours or not even hours? Like, yeah. At it the basically time, the internet, took yeah. down the entire internet with this amount of traffic because of how it self propagated. Right. And it's one of the best and earliest examples of that right but if you have some kind of vulnerability that's exploitable remotely you can definitely have self-propagating malware yeah no i i the self-propagating thing so you're saying the difference between you know today's ransomware that took down the presbyterian medical center or whatever it's called uh the difference between that and tomorrow's malware is that tomorrow's malware does way more things to move before it starts encrypting so they it, they could happen at the same time. Well, no, no, because once you've encrypted, then you've already like people will start noticing, right? That is so, true. Like, so you, you're thinking more of something that establishes a foothold into there. But but no, no, it moves laterally, then it encrypts. Like this, they 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 portray like a potential scenario in the Talus blog. So it'd be like it gets it gets a foothold, but it doesn't start encrypting right away. It, it finds its way around, then it starts encrypting versus now, like Kelsey said, spray and pray. They just go and encrypt everything they possibly can and hope for the best. I can see a situation like that. Yeah, ransomware is a good way to make a quick buck like that. Yeah. But you look on the values of health records and medical records right now in the black market. 
that is really like credit card numbers are basically free anymore because they're stolen so frequently and the value for any given credit card number is really small. But complete medical records from someone have a very high value right now. So if you're going through all that trouble of developing software or malware that can propagate through in a hospital environment and tie into all the file shares and have this information, it would make more sense that they would be trying to go for that so that they can steal the electronic health records and medical records for identity theft. I you know Oh, that... by, by the way, I'm just going to insert this. Um, the Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center, um, Lockheed used infected Word files to spread ransomware. So because of that, there were reportedly 100,000 new infections a day. So it used infected Word files. Yeah, yeah. So all you need for but that that's is pray one, pray. one that's Word pray file pray. to be infected right. that people access. That's not targeted. That's that's uh, distributed. So I I think I disagree with you, Tom. I think that the money is worth more than anything else. <laughs> like just straight up cash. You know, it's kind of like – so if you're – It's, it's if, all about – Return on investment. Right. You get way more return on investment just collecting money versus having to go and sell these medical records to some shady guy that's stealing people's social security numbers. Not not necessarily. Well, I have to agree with him. It's a quicker turnaround. Right. So, I mean, if you you want your files back, you're going to pay like now. Yeah. Whereas if you steal those medical records, you you have to find somebody to to dump them off to. Yeah. And the market for that is huge right now. Okay. But the market for money is huger when they can't use their (laughs) network. Like that's why ransomware exists. Like no that's why ransom ransomware is a shift in malware. So instead of stealing things, it doesn't steal them. It just makes it's taking your network So ransom. look at it the perspective of why don't you well, just do both? Well look at it perspective of send a criminal, all the records I mean, send everything out the internet no, 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 and no. then encrypt it. But, but see, but, but that's too slow. That's way slower. Well, right. You have to look at it from the standpoint of a criminal. Where is your biggest risk at? Your biggest risk is getting caught. Yeah. From holding on to it and trying to find people to get rid of it or just getting it and dumping it as fast as possible. I mean, yeah. the quicker you can get rid of it, the least likely you're going to get caught. So right, right. it makes more sense to say, hey, I got your stuff. If you want to back, pay me. Not yeah. to say, hey, well, let me find 100 people that will buy these thousand medical right, records. Right. And they don't even have to have the stuff. They just have to have the key. Right. That that allows them to use this stuff. So and like th- and then But even as you look at the perspective of you know, going back to the target attacked, uh when all those credit card numbers were stolen, it's not like the guy who stole them all was selling them one by one. They unloaded that in bulk. Right. To but, but another distributor. Well well the thing well, okay, I agree with you on that, but if he could have some way just got rid of them all to one person, I guarantee he'd rather do that because each person that you implement into your process is another snitch yeah, in the whole line. Exactly. Right, so, right, right. So if you just take the money that you don't need to right, find a bunch I, of people and associates and all that stuff. So you just get it and go. Right. You know, and also to... that target attack took place over a much longer period of time. If, if you're talking about uh, something that – because – so the crypto locker type thing is very like it's quick. Like it gets on your network and it does something really fast and then you better pay attention to it right now. Like it it, it grabs your attention whereas like the target malware its goal was the exact opposite. Its its goal was to hide for as long as it possibly could versus ransomware is like, "Hey, I'm here and I have all your files." Like it 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 announces itself. They literally change the background of the desktop. You know, like it's very it's very loud. So I think going f- forward, the next logical step would probably be getting more out of it. 
But it almost raises the question of, well, why bother if you can get a whole hospital? The efficiency of ransomware is very high right now. Yeah. And there's really not a great way to deal with it in a lot of cases either. So speaking of ways to deal with it, one of the coolest things that we talked that that was re- referenced in one of the articles we read was the idea of a canary share, a canary file share or a canary drive, I guess they could call it. So like if you're a malware developer and you're writing CryptoLocker, you're going to make at some point, it's going to look through all the network shares, right? It's going to look for the A drive and the B drive and the C drive, or maybe it'll start at the Z drive and go back. But you have to have a list of all the things that it's going to look for, right? So the idea is you have this drive that's on everyone's computer. Everyone has access, right access to this network drive, but it's all junk data, and it has very strict alerting on it where if anyone uses it at all, it immediately locks their pers- that person's account. So, so, so it's like a honeypot, sort of. It's like a honeypot, but with IPS added in. So you essentially, you have this canary drive that every single marketing person who likes to click Word documents with macros enabled. <laughs> Excuse me. They <laughs> all have this drive mapped to their computer, right? And then your AD or your whatever, some magical box on your network does monitoring where if anyone modifies a file on that drive, it immediately locks, locks their AD account. So then you have one drive that's the A drive. OneDrive, that's the Z drive, it's on everyone's computer, and if anyone touches it, it it tr- locks their account. Until those marketing people start storing things on it. Well, but they can't store things on it or else their computer gets locked, so they won't so do that they'll again. they'll learn eventually. Yeah, they'll learn eventually. After five times, they'll <laughs> learn. But also, I think that's, that's really cool because th- another thing that would benefit that is if it starts with the A drive and starts encrypting stuff, not only does the account get locked, but it also wastes its time encrypting junk data. So like that that was one of the coolest I mean all the other defense in depth stuff is of course a good protection against ransomware network segmentation blah blah, blah like all the boring stuff you know like Do you think do you think defense in depth is now a uh, almost a null and void buzzword? No. Uh-uh. That's like saying is network segmentation null and void. Well, that's it's not. No. But like okay, is it a dead buzzword? I I don't know. I I'm not the authority on buzzwords maybe. Uh, you are Kelsey. You're the bu- you, like. If anyone knows what buzzwords, your are job is like buzzwords. Yeah. So tell us. Is it? I think it is. So what are people saying now? I don't know. Advanced <laughs> security or something? I'm not sure. I just think there has to be more. So, so the cool the all the boring security stuff that you've heard a thousand times before: network segmentation, DMZs, defense in depth, endpoint monitoring, intrusion detection, all that stuff is still valid. But I think the coolest solution is the Canary Drive for their crypto locker. It's just so cool. Like, oh, yeah, hey, this account got locked and your crypto locker got nowhere. Like, too bad attackers. But, like, from a realistic perspective, what you almost need to be able to do is assume that your entire organization is going to be encrypted and you need a way to restore that. That's true. You need to have off-site backups that basically you need to have unplugged backups is what you need. Yes. Tape backups are great for something like well, this. Well, unless your tape robot has admin admin. Even then, your off-site tape backups are fine. No, well, okay, off-site tape backups, yes, but actually some people do on-site tape and and it there are like supposedly the next generation of crypto lockers are going to look for tape robots and actually use like start like Dump this in the trash. Dump this in the trash. Like, just keep to, like dumping. Oh, the so discs. it'll be like a Nixon script that <laughs> yeah. just erases tapes. Well, kind of. I I don't know how tape robots really work. 
but I assume they're, there's... They're really cool. I know they are, but like, but what they're if they're... also like all 20, 30, 40 years old. Is there like a trash can in the bo- in, in the room with it and it can just like take the drive out and just put it in the trash? No, is... no. no. It's like a carousel that this robot goes around and it grabs a tape and sticks it. But why can't it stick it in the incinerator? Because there's not an incinerator <laughs> in the middle of your data center, Corey. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Okay, what if anyway think, think think about that for a second. Incinerator in data, data center. center. What okay. could possibly go All right, wrong? Fine, fine. Okay? There's no incinerator, but maybe there's just a trash can. Like the tape robot just takes the disc out and then just dumps it in the trash. And then what you would do is go into the trash can and pick up the tape and walk away. <laughs> so that would actually so it's like honey pots for tape robots. Speaking of trash can, I'm going to throw this podcast away. What? This that was a good I like I'm it. gonna actually take the <laughs> trash can in the podcast room and put it on Corey's head. Right I now. really <laughs> like the idea that like you're just in the data center and There's like the trash can and, and you're getting crypto lockered and you can't you can physically see the tape robot like taking out all the drives and putting them in the trash. Well, so anyway, when it comes to defense against this type of stuff, uh, A, continue to not publicly praise and privately ignore best practices. What does that mean, Kelsey? Well, people talk about, oh, do this and this and this and this for security. And even even then, InfoSec professionals and other people just completely ignore them. So stop. Stop doing that. One thing that was interesting is they say that like the Cisco Talos paper about ransomware basically just completely dis- discounts like SOC, SOCs and MSSPs. Like it's like, yeah, you probably won't detect it. The average detection time for SOCs and MSSPs is four months. <laughs> like, they, like, I think. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I'm not an expert on SOC yet, but um, I would like to think that it's as close to real time as we can get. I it is something that I've talked to customers about. Are there signatures for crypto lockers? A lot of the signatures that I think you see for that are the exploit kit type that would right that be leaving that. R- not leaving the initial compromise right or a machine calling out. So if you're able to see your machine communicating in such a way that it right. looks like an infected machine or doing that initial signature key exchange. Now, is that... But a lot of that's HTTPS traffic. Too. Right, right, right. So I'm thinking, like, if I'm a SOC person I see a crypto locker come across the wire, what am I doing? Like, unmount all your network shares. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know you can, you know, take the... Oops. I know you can take the machine offline or whatever, but, like, are there different SOC procedures for crypto lockers because of the way that they, like, go and try to... Like, they, they basically are destroying data constantly right which isn't that's not a characteristic of malware that is typically if anything like that was triggered that'd be an immediate priority one right call someone you know call what would you say tom like say say oh my god crypto locker shut off your network that was that's (laughs) what you would advise so shut off the network not shut off your network but like you might have very legitimately consider taking file servers offline right. in that scenario. Right, right, right. Which is totally unique to crypto. You wouldn't do that with any other malware, right? Like, no other malware demands that kind of a crazy phone call, like, hey, delete. Uh, <laughs> like, like, it's just so... Just to imagine, like, one of our SOC people calling and being like, hey, uh, turn your file server off right now. 
No yeah. questions asked. <laughs> Is it, it's not like one of those things where you could just block something at a firewall right. and all your no, problems you go away. You can't block it in a fire. You can if so you if you had the capability like that machine's on a separate network or something like that, you can identify the source. Maybe you could firewall that machine. But you wouldn't want to rely on that. No, you want um, that. But it. I would say if you have any DMZ resources or something like that that does cross a firewall boundary, yeah, you'd probably want to initiate a block for that machine to mitigate, at least contain the threat as much as possible. Wow, yeah. It definitely, definitely ransomware prompts a new type of SOC response. You kind of have to know how your network works yeah. in that regard, Because if too. you just start firewalling the box, you could actually help it. Not necessarily. If, you, if people can't get to it and stop it, like, say you firewall everything in your DMZ. Well, your DMZ contains file servers. The other know. the other thing I'm thinking, and I don't know exactly how factual this is, but if something is generated an encryption key, at some point it has to be transmitting that, and it's probably generating in some way in memory. Right. So I'm wondering if there would be any value to disconnecting for the machine from the network, but leaving it running. And then... Stealing the key. And then capturing the RAM to see if you can get a decryption key by any chance. I would think the likelihood of that is probably pretty low. It's possible. But it seems like it seems the, like the machine, it should be something that No, it's is technically possible. possible because the machine knows the key and you if you have complete control of the machine, you should be able to access the key. Somehow. Yeah. But that assumes that no one shuts down the machine or tampers. Well, something. you wouldn't want to do that live. You would that's something you would do like that's something you would do in a lab, and then maybe if it works, you set it up for your endpoint protection to do that. Even then, automating memory capture on a compromised machine is <laughs> a little far off. That's true. And memory analysis is one of those areas that it's always a little iffy. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting as I don't know. That's just an idea that came out came to me, and that, it seems we should like totally it would be pretty that. cool. We should but, definitely try. Okay, that. so Corey's gonna go home and download some ransomware. I could. And, <laughs> I can. We have a lab network. I can put ransomware on it. That's fine. Not the customer lab network. We have two lab networks. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, any thoughts to share? Uh, I'm soaking it all in. Um, I actually wanted to hear more about your canary theory. The canary theory. How would you sell that? Uh, probably just some stupid endpoint. It would be integrated with some endpoint thing. So like, well, no, actually, it could be centralized. Yeah. So how I would here's how I would sell it. <clears throat> There's this thing you put it on your file servers, you install it, and it will mount. You know, everyone has to mount this share, and then when the share triggers or whatever the canary triggers, it has to be able to do the stuff it needs to do to stop your network from being compromised. It would be the kind of thing you'd integrate into the like the magical black boxes like uh FireEye uh what is it? Black Sands or whatever. Like there's there's lots of these boxes. Uh the the point of them is you just put them somewhere in your network and and they just make you more secure. <laughs> it would be the kind of thing that you would implement on one of those boxes. Um I don't know how you it would probably be integrated with some other service. But it could be a standalone product. Hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, right, right, right. In theory, that was a great sales pitch. It's called Firebox. <laughs> you just put it on your network, and it's canary, and you get hacked, and it knows. It's just like an IDS, <laughs> and it puts out fires. It's <laughs> it puts a box. Out crypto fires. Well, any I guess any final defense strategies from us recommendations. Mm. 
I think the number. So if you are super paranoid about Crypto Locker and you need to do something about it, the first thing you should do is have offsite backups. Because that helps you in other ways too. Like having offsite backups has lots of other benefits other than just crypto locker. Yeah, like, I, want, I wanted you to repeat that. That's why I like <laughs> right. asked again. If, if you have offsite backups, not only does that help you in crypto locker, it also helps you in flood, tornado, fire, hard drive failure. Uh, like it's very beneficial. Riots, riots. Uh, pretty much, you name you name it, you need to have it. So that's the first thing. After that network segmentation because again that has benefits outside of just crypto locker network segmentation will slow down any attacker who's moving laterally but the other thing the principle of least access comes into play yeah, too right yeah, absolutely uh, that i don't know i think network segmentation is more valuable than least access no because you don't want every client machine to be able to write to every file share well, yeah yeah but they can't even access the file shares that are bad because they're network segmented away but they kind of go hand in hand yeah they? or they can it's a similar principle right access control just have offsite backups. <laughs> it's not that hard. Come on. Like well, S3, facing, Backblaze, yeah, as we're Iron Mountain. <laughs> life or death, you know, it's already hospitals. That that can be majorly life or death. Literally. Yeah. Um, you know, next it's gonna be power if this is if this isn't already happening. Power, gas, water, shipping, air traffic control, grids, you know, whatever. Right. I see, I yeah, I guess. I mean hospitals are Right now, everyone's bashing hospitals because because hospitals have lots of reasons to keep lots of really crappy, vulnerable things on their networks. But I agree that a lot of other organizations have those, too. So I guess one thing we haven't mentioned in this podcast is what end users should do. So I feel like the whole time we've pretty much been talking to sysadmins. But if you're an end user, what you should do is don't open attachments at all. If you can. And if you have to open attachments and you open up a Word document and it says you have to enable macros, don't enable macros. Well, this is where user education comes in. I mean, there's a lot of users that still have no idea, have no awareness of how valuable data, any type of data is. Right, right. They don't know. They're not prepared in any way. So user education is super important. That's true. And that's one thing, you know, you got to tell your users in some way, hey, just letting you know, this computer has access to all of the medical data shares. Don't access your email at all on it. You know, and you can teach people that. Like, you could literally just put a post-it note on the MRI computer that says, don't check your email Anything. or Facebook. Even or. minor, even minor. <laughs> you, yeah. need, you need to rethink that teach people. That, right. That, that's, the, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. These theories aren't anything new. Right, right. But, this we, is but, but it's been, it's something that's constantly being repeated. So, right. you know, um, People don't change passwords. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's kind of a so it's kind of a behavior thing, and it's kind of a weird uh, way to think about end users. But you have to kind of condition their behavior. So, like one of the examples that Cisco gives is to implement a company wide file sharing solution, so that then people are conditioned to only think the only time I share files, receiving or sending files at all, it always comes through this channel. So then. That when something comes through another channel, they're immediately suspicious. Don't just run in an organization where anything goes. You know, establish these specific ways of doing things so that when new things arise, that they're they're considered suspicious or their people don't understand them at the okay. very least. Okay, uh, as a pen tester, just just out of curiosity, you, you go on to a business and you're, you're testing 
and you see their policies, you understand what they're telling their end user not to do. How often do you see them doing what they're not supposed to do? Always. So it's basically right. going back to, you know. Right, right. But, but that's the, the weakest link here, really, is the end user. The very end of the chain, it's always the weakest right, link. Right, right. Ab- absolutely. And that's why defense in depth, you know, it always comes up because it allows you to defend those people who are the most vulnerable. But I still think, I do think it's possible. I mean, even like we do phishing campaigns. And almost every time we do a phishing campaign, if we do that same campaign again, you catch someone. It's, it's less. Well, we always get someone. That, that's something. A fish is going to bite. Yeah, we always no. get someone. But if you look, say we send out 100 emails, and then we come back three months later and we send out another 100 emails, usually we see a reduction. So usually after training, after we, see, we do see less and less people do it. Not, there's never going to be a point where no one does it. So you're right. You will always catch something. But I think conditioning your your users' behavior so that they users are not expecting to be clicking an attachment. You want your users to to sort of condition their behavior so that they don't they're not used to clicking attachments. They're cautious when clicking attachments because they've never done that before. That or like you know because they don't normally do that. I think establishing norms. I mean policies are one thing, but like forcing people to use one system is good because it allows them to it allows you to establish one way of doing things and if 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 the phishing person sends something that's attached or a file that's attached and it's not through their secure messaging system then that's that's suspicious you know it's it's new it's something unknown and people are more le- maybe they're more likely but you know people are going to be more cautious of it at least hopefully hopefully um okay well, we can do this all day, so I don't, I don't know if you want yeah, to keep going back. Well, I mean, we're not going <laughs> to. So, so, right. I mean, but, you definitely, you can't, there's no, never going to be an organization that has perfect users. That's right, never right. going to happen. But still, even if, you know, I think companies get weary of wasting, not wasting, but utilizing time, resources, et cetera, even if there are just small, some minor right. measures taken to just put some type of awareness out there, I think that's more important than nothing. Right. So... I think running, I mean, this is kind of like a self-plug almost, but I think running scenario, like hypothetical scenarios is really beneficial for people. Yeah. Like if you put up a poster that says, don't click phishing emails, that's got, no one's going to, no one's going to pay attention to that. But if, if, if you've clicked a phishing email before and your, your, your system has gotten fake crypto locker on it, you'll probably remember it. Like if, cause that's pretty worrisome. It's exactly. Or if you're the one, you know. Like when we, I assume, I don't really know because we don't go back and talk to the bill, but I assume that when we get someone to tell us their f- password over the phone, something happens because of that and they probably wouldn't do it again. Like, like you know what I mean? I think participating in a real attack, not just reading about, this is what a phishing email looks like, but actually going to a phishing email and clicking the link and getting your f- computer crypto locked. And then luckily you go to the sysadmin and say, hey, I got crypto locked. And he's like, oh, another one. And he just chalks it up on the board. And then later they all come back because that was just an exercise, a drill. Right. You know? Right. And I mean, if you think about it, drills are used in all kinds of, you know, every time you get on a plane, they tell you what happens when the plane crashes. Every time. <laughs> like, every single time. Not Like, it's not only if it's a dangerous flight. Just, you could do the same thing with users. Every time, you know, or, you know, Drew a drill. In the unlikely event of a cryptoware attack, you're. 
Exactly. Run scenarios. You know, do it for real because once someone has really clicked that macro on the Word document and gotten their computer encrypted, they're never going to f- forget that. Like, they're <laughs> going to be like, I couldn't use my computer for a whole Burned day. Burned into terrible. memory. Exactly. Federal so. law prohibits clicking on links and attachments and emails. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Just a couple of quick plugs for me. Next week, May 18th, we've got, for any Splunk users, we've got a Splunk user group in Pittsburgh. So it's going to be happy hour and Splunk learning and all that. Uh, I'll put that link in the show notes and we've got a few new blogs. So make sure to go to hurricanelabs.com, browse through our blogs and have a good day. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.